Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 4, Episode 17. This week we're talking about 2014's American Sniper. Now, before we get started with this, a couple things. One, this is a previous recording that we did back in 2017. Uh, so we hadn't done I, Tanya, and we hadn't done, um, oh, what was the other movie in our pantheon here? Uh, the Disaster Artist. We hadn't done those yet. So at the time, there was nothing in the biopic genre. So... If you hear us talking about stuff like as though those movies didn't exist yet, it's because we hadn't recorded them yet. Um, another thing to remember also is that normally our shows are a little more lively. We have a lot of fun with them and all that stuff. American Sniper is not really a movie you can have a whole lot of quote-unquote fun with. Uh, it is a very serious movie. It's a, it deals with PTSD, and so we treat it with that same reverence. And finally, the last thing I want to say is in this recording, we don't actually go through the summary. This is one of those recordings where I just read the entire summary and then we go into our uh, top three, bottom three, the, did the awards get it right? So if you want to skip ahead, trust me, you're not hurting anybody's feelings here. Uh, so by all means, go ahead, skip ahead to those points right there. But otherwise, enjoy the show, enjoy what we talk about on the show, but it's probably not going to be a as per usual, enjoyable show. So otherwise, I know I'm really selling this hard, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, uh, have a good time. And uh, we'll probably be releasing another one uh, in the next week or so to kind of give us a little palate cleanser to get back to the usual goofiness that we have. But otherwise, here is American Sniper. With Joe. You got some sort of savior complex? I just want to get the bad guys, but if I can't see him, I can't shoot him. And Joel. Look, all these guys, they know your name. They feel invincible with you up there. They're not. They are if they think they are. I'm your host, Joe, and with me is the Chris Kyle to my Taya Kyle. Who? Joel. I am nowhere near him, but thank you. You're welcome. I well, here. I usually pick characters, and unfortunately, they're the only two that really matter in this movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, this week, Joel nominated American Sniper for the biopic genre. Yes, sir. We will discuss whether this movie belongs in the pantheon of biopic movies. The pantheon is comprised of seven and only seven films per genre. Currently, the movies that are there are I, Tanya with a B plus and The Disaster Artist with a B plus. But now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. And I got to feel this movie be staying there for a long yeah, we'll time. See. We could do biopics for the rest of the year. I think this one would be okay. Yeah. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its ass from the Pantheon in the future. So we will discuss the movie. And in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. So if you have not seen American Sniper, it is best if you stop right now, watch the movie, salute your heroes, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. Now that we've handled that business, let's get to our movie of the week, all right, this week we are talking about 2014's American Sniper, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Jason Hall, based on the book American Sniper, written by Chris Kyle, Scott McEwen, and Jim DeFelice, starring Bradley Cooper as Chris Kyle, Sienna Miller as Taya Kyle, and post-traumatic stress disorder as PTSD. Before we get started, though, let's make sure that we understand the nature of the biopic genre. Uh, Joe, does a biopic have to be 100% accurate? In short, no. Biopics are not documentaries. They are a version of the story that is pieced together. There's a few minor liberties here and there. 
to tell the truth or a set of truths from a specific perspective about the person in question. If you want 100% accuracy, check out a documentary. Don't go to a movie expecting a whole, it's got to be truthful. Right, and even documentaries can be sloped. Yes, slanted. very much so. Um, uh, every biopic you watch is going to have liberties taken. If you complain right. about that, then you're not, you should just watch documentaries there. Well, um, let's jump into our next segment called Inception to Perception, where Joe digs deep into the research to find out how this movie got started as an idea and how it got its way to the big screen. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. Uh, on May 24th, 2012, it was announced that Warner Brothers had acquired the rights to book with Bradley Cooper set to produce and star in the screen adaptation. Cooper had thought of Chris Pratt to play Kyle, but Warner Brothers agreed to buy it only if Cooper would star. Probably a smart move, because Chris Pratt... He's a different animal. Yeah, well, I'll even say, because Chris Pratt is in Zero Dark Thirty, and he does yes. a really good job in that, but he is still the more so goofy character in that. Yeah. Osama Bin Laden. Yeah. I mean, he even he can't really be fully serious in that. He's great in it, but mm-hmm. he's uh, not Chris Kyle. And in September 2012, David O. Russell said he was interested in directing the film. On fe- February 2nd, 2013, Chris Kyle was murdered. So... They started this movie before he had even passed away. Yes. Which is, I didn't know that. Now, uh, three months later, it's announced that Steven Spielberg would direct. Spielberg had read Kyle's book, though he desired to have a more psychological conflict present in the screenplay, so a, quote, enemy sniper character could serve as the insurgent sharpshooter who was trying to track down and kill Kyle. Spielberg's ideas contributed to the development of a lengthy screenplay approaching 160 pages. Due to Warner Brothers' budget constraints, Spielberg felt he could not bring his vision of the story to the screen. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little excited about that because he drops out of the directing chair October, August 5th. And yeah. that's a good sign. Because I don't think this is a Spielberg movie. No, um, it's not. August 21st, it's reported that Clint Eastwood would instead direct the film. And yeah. if you're going to upgrade, there you go. Yeah, this is 1,000% a Clint Eastwood film. Uh, several major news sources commented on the accuracy of the film and how it differs from Chris Kyle's written accounts. The enemy sniper, Mustafa, is a major character in the film but receives only a small mention in the memoir. Kyle noted, quote, I never saw him, but other snipers later killed an Iraqi sniper we think was him. Now, according to the memoir, Kyle's 2,100-yard shot was taken against an insurgent holding a rocket launcher, not Mustafa. Time notes that, according to screenwriter Jason Hall, Kyle said of Mustafa, quote, he shot my friend. I'm not going to put his name in my book. The first combat scene in the film was Kyle killing a boy and mother who tried to attack U.S. troops with a grenade. The boy was added for the film. The film depicts Ryan Biggles' job as dying shortly after he is shot by Mustafa. In reality, Job survived for several years after the incident, but died after surgical complications from an operation on his face. The character, The Butcher, was created for the film, although this character may have been based on the real life Abu Dara. So, those are your liberties that were taken. Okay. Now that we got the liberties out of the way, the rest of this movie is pretty damn truthful. Yeah. If you've seen any interview with Taya Kyle, as she speaks about this movie, she always breaks down with how real it was. Yeah. So, do you remember the first time you saw this? I do. I saw it for the first time, let's see, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I saw it... Um, it was actually before my buddy Jordan's wedding. He, I mean, we had time to kill, and 
that was the day that I saw American Sniper for the first time. And then we got to the wedding venue. I mean, he's a big movie guy. And then we watched Deadpool, like legitimately <laughs> a couple hours, if not like an hour before we walked out. <laughs> so I saw American Sniper. I was like, oh, yeah, that was heavy. And then I saw Deadpool. I was like, oh, that was <laughs> that was rich. Polar opposites. Yeah. No, he my friend loves this movie and. I can't say I feel any different. It's a great movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, for me, I, I saw it. I, I remember it uh, coming out in December, limited release. And then there was all the awards talk. It's going to win. It's going to win. And it didn't because there was a lot of political uprising about this movie. Right. Uh, a lot of gun control BS. I waited until it was on video. And when I did, I was like, damn, I wish I would have seen this on the big screen because yeah. I could only imagine how much cooler it would have been to be in the theater with all the sound effects around it and some of those shots and not just when he's in the, uh, in the field, but also when he's at home, he's dealing with all the sounds he's hearing the lawnmower, right. uh, it, random things. I would like to see how that would have turned out in a str- surround sound area. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, we're into a little synopsis of this movie, uh, courtesy of, uh, the good people at Wikipedia. It's a bit long, so please bear with us. Am I a tall enough by you, drink? Not until you tell me what you do. Okay, how about this? Hey, Greg, get two shots. How about we do a shot for a question? Every time you ask me a question, I answer you got to do a shot. Same, vice versa. Game on. You leave ball, too. Okay, shoot. All right. <clears throat> You're obviously military. What branch? I just finished Bud's heading at Sapper School. Are you kidding me? You're a SEAL? Yes, ma'am. That's two questions. Oh, I didn't really mean you had to do that. (laughs) Okay. Shit. I know all about you guys. My sister was engaged to a seal. Oh, was she? Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Hold on. How you you know all about us? What do you mean? What I mean is you're a bunch of arrogant, self-centered pricks. You think you can lie and cheat and do whatever the fuck you want. I'd never date a seal. Wait, why would you say I'm self-centered? I'd lay down my life for my country. Why? Because it's the greatest country on earth. I'd do everything I can to protect it. Like, I'm sorry what happened to your sister, but that's not me. It's nice to meet you. Where are you going? Well, I was just going to go home because you said you wouldn't date a seal, so. Said I'd never marry one. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. What's your name? Taya. Taya. Chris, I'm Chris Kyle. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. In the opening scene, U.S. Navy SEAL sniper Chris Kyle is perched on a rooftop, scoping out the path of a U.S. military convoy through his sniper rifle. He sees a man on a rooftop talking on a cell phone, and he appears to be watching the convoy, which Kyle reports it through the headset. He is told that if the man is reporting troop movement, he has the green light to shoot him, but Kyle is unsure. His Marine backup suggests that he may just be talking to his girlfriend on the phone. The man disappears from the rooftop, and a few minutes later, a woman and a young boy appear in the doorway of the same building and walk toward the convoy. Kyle reports the woman and boy, noting that the woman is not swinging her arms as she walks and appears to be carrying something. No one in the convoy can see it to confirm. He watches through the scope as the woman removes something from her cloak and hands it to the boy, and he realizes that it is a grenade. He again gets the green light to shoot, but his Marine guard warns him that he will be sent to prison for shooting a child if he's wrong. The film cuts to a young Chris hunting with his father, and he shoots and kills a deer. His father congratulates him on his excellent shot, telling him he has a gift. 
Chris happily approaches the deer, dropping his gun to the ground as he runs to it. His father reprimands him, retreating his gun cavalierly. Over several scenes set in his childhood, we see young Chris, his younger brother Jeff, and his parents attend church, where he pockets a small, well-worn copy of the New Testament. There's also a scene of Jeff being beat up by a much larger kid on a playground. Chris runs up and pulls the bully off, beating him up. In the next scene, seated at the family's dinner table, Chris's father tells the boys that there are three kinds of people in the world. Sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Sheep don't believe that there is evil in the world. Wolves are predators who commit evil. And sheepdogs are blessed with the aggression and bravery to protect the world from evil. The speech clearly makes an impact on Chris. Years later, Chris is competing in rodeos with his younger brother traveling alongside him. He returns home one night and finds his girlfriend in bed with another man. He hits the man several times and kicks him out before turning around to kick his girlfriend out. She complains that he abandons her every weekend to go to rodeos, believing himself to be a cowboy when he's just a failed farmer. As Chris and his brother watch TV, they see the news of the August 1998 terrorist attacks on the U.S. embassies in Tanzania and Kenya. Chris is angry that U.S. citizens are being attacked and feels compelled to do something to protect his country. He visits a U.S. Navy office and talks to the recruiter. The recruiter suggests that Kyle might be interested in the SEAL program and hands him a pamphlet, but Kyle remarks that he's not much of a swimmer. The recruiter takes the pamphlet out of his hand and says that it's not for most men, but Kyle retorts that he's not most men. Kyle goes through the rigorous training process, which includes being blasted with a powerful hose while exercising, laying down on the beach and letting the cold surf wash over him, as well as being verbally harassed by the officers who run training, mocking him for being too old to be a SEAL at the age of 30. He also goes through sniper training, bringing in his hunting background. The instructor reminds him to aim small, miss small. If they aim for a button on a man's shirt, they might miss by only two inches, but if they aim for the shirt altogether, they might miss by two feet. His instructor also tells him to keep his non-scoping eye closed to better focus on the target. Kyle responds that he needs to keep both eyes open to see what else is out there. The instructor tells him that they are shooting at a target and there's nothing else out there and reprimands him with 50 push-ups. Kyle proves him wrong by shooting a snake hidden in the grass on the shooting range. In the meantime, Kyle meets a woman named Taya at a bar one night. She tells him that she would never marry a seal as her sister did, but was what cheated on, and lied to constantly. She also challenges him at drinking shots, showing off how tough she is, but she ends up vomiting outside the car. Bar. Kyle is kind to her, holding her hair back and taking care of her. He calls her repeatedly until she agrees to date him, and their relationship progresses. She asks him at one point if she ever thinks about who will be at the end of his gun, and he tells her that he just wants to protect his country. On their wedding day, he and his fellow SEALs receive word that they will be deployed to Iraq, which they celebrate. The film cuts back to the opening scene, and Kyle watches the woman hand the grenade off to the young boy. As the young boy starts running toward the convoy with the grenade in his hand, Kyle pulls the trigger and kills him. The woman starts wailing and running toward the boy, and Kyle watches her closely. The woman runs past the boy's body to grab the grenade he dropped and continue running at the convoy. She is about to fling the grenade at it when Kyle shoots her. The grenade falls short of the convoy and explodes, leaving the troops unharmed. Kyle returns to the base camp where a fellow SEAL congratulates him on his first kill. Kyle doesn't appear to regret the killing, but admits that he didn't think this is what it would be like to protect his country. Kyle continues to provide overwatch for Marine units who are going door-to-door through an evacuated city, searching for an Al-Qaeda leader named Zarqawi. They are told that any military-aged male who remained in the city should be considered a threat. 
Kyle successfully watches over the troops, shooting many would-be attackers who carry guns and bombs. Kyle is dedicated to his job, even urinating in his post to avoid abandoning his watch. After a particular watch, Kyle reports that he had six kills, which is more than all the other snipers combined in the same shift. His fellow troops began calling him the legend. Also, a bounty has been placed on their heads by Al-Qaeda. Kyle also hears of an Al-Qaeda sniper who won a gold medal for shooting in the Olympics called Mustafa, known for making nearly impossible shots. Several times throughout, Kyle talks to his pregnant wife on the phone, and she tries to get him to be honest and tell her about what he's going through. He resists, but they talk and laugh together. She complains that she has to put the crib together by herself, and they express how much they miss each other. She also tells Kyle that his younger brother has been deployed to Iraq as well. At times, Kyle complains about being assigned to Overwatch as he wants to be on the ground with the troops going door to door. He believes his training makes him better equipped than the Marines doing the job, and he can't protect them on Overwatch once they're inside a building. He finally abandons his Overwatch post and joins the Marines on the ground, who welcome the legend. As they go door to door, they find a home where the family has refused to evacuate. The man tells them that it is his home, and he will not abandon it. Kyle questions the man with the help of an interpreter, showing him a picture of Zarqawi and asks him if he knows who he is. The man says that Zarqawi's second in command is a man known as the Butcher. He can give Kyle information on the Butcher, but he wants $100,000 in return. Kyle promises to him, and the, main, and, the man, and the man provides a name. Kyle has the name checked out, which turns out to be useful intelligence, so they prepare to bring the cash to the man. As the SEALs drive back to the man's home to bring him the money, Kyle calls Taya, who tells him that she has just learned their baby is a boy. Kyle is overjoyed with it when his vehicle is suddenly attacked and he drops the phone while it is still connected. Taya listens in horror to gunfire and screaming, unsure of what is going on. Mustafa is shooting at the men, and Kyle tries to take him out but is unable to do so as he is pinned down by gunfire. The butcher found out that the man gave up information to the troops, and he kills the man's young son with a handheld power drill. He also shoots the man and screams out a warning to anyone who cooperates with the U.S. military. The butcher and Mustafa both get away unharmed. More troops arrive, and Kyle and his men are able to get out safely. A few days later, the troops return, and Taya tearfully reunites with Kyle. Kyle tries to adjust to life back at home. Taya finds Kyle watching a video of U.S. soldiers being killed by a sniper and rushes to shut it off when he sees her. She tells him that she wants him to open up, but he doesn't want her to know about the atrocities they're facing in Iraq. The video shows Mustafa's kills, which he records and sells. While, the while at the obstetrician's office for a checkup, the doctor asks him how he's doing, to which he responds that he's fine. She takes his blood pressure, which is very high, at 170 over 110. Both the doctor and Taya are extremely concerned about him, but Kyle brushes off their concerns and says he will take care of it. As they drive away, Taya tries to get him to open up, but Kyle just repeats that he's fine. However, as he's talking, he grows more frustrated as he tells her that he doesn't understand why everybody isn't talking about what's going on in Iraq and how people are just going about their everyday lives. Taya goes into labor and they rush to the hospital where she gives birth to their son. After arriving in Iraq, Kyle sees his younger brother marching with his troop. Kyle cheerfully greets Jeff, who is about to be sent home and is much more battle-worn and conflicted. Jeff wearily walks away and tells Kyle, fuck this country. Kyle redeploys for a second and third tour in Iraq, continuing to hunt down the butcher. The bounty on his head has been increased, and he jokes that his wife may go after it herself. 
In their search for the butcher, Kyle leads a team of SEALs, including men he has served for, with for a long time, and they are clearly a close-knit group. One of his men, Mark, begins to express regret about the war, and Kyle reminds him that they are patriots serving their country and protecting their families. On one mission, the team gets intelligence that the butcher may be hiding out in a particular building. The team breaks into a home across the street from the building, through the, though the man that lives there with his family says that they have no knowledge of any terrorist activity. The SEALs watching the, watch the building from the home, realizing they will have a hard time getting in when the man tells them that it is a holiday, and he wants to invite them to be guests at his table. The SEALs join them for a meal, eating and talking boisterously. The man reaches across the table to his son, and Kyle notices that his elbows are rubbed raw. Since snipers often spend considerable amounts of time held up on their elbows, causing calluses like the one the man has, this tips him off that the man might not be as innocent as he professed. He gets up under the pretense that he's going to the bathroom and searches the apartment until he finds a hidden compartment in the floor filled with guns and weapons. He returns to the dining table, taking the man into the other room and showing him what he has found. He tells the man that he will help the SEALs get into the building. At gunpoint, they force the man to knock on the door. The door opens to allow the man in as he is clearly known to the peoples inside when a sniper takes out the door opener. The man grabs the door opener's gun and tries to shoot at the SEALs who take him out. The SEALs enter the building, clearing room after room, looking for the butcher who escapes through back tunnels. While at the body, auto body shop, a young Marine approaches Kyle and tells him that Kyle had saved his life once in years past. The Marine asks Kyle if he would be, go down to the VA sometime to talk with veterans. He also talks with Kyle's son, telling him that his father is a hero and allowed him to go home to his daughter. Kyle is gracious but feels uncomfortable with all the praise the young man gives him. Between deployments, Kyle continues to struggle to readjust to civilian life. Loud noises seem to startle him deeply. Taya gives birth to their second child, a daughter. When Kyle visits the hospital, he sees his daughter in the nursery, and she begins to cry. The nurse is handling another baby and doesn't immediately attend to Kyle's daughter, and he becomes increasingly agitated, screaming at the nurse. His wife bitterly remarks that he is missing his kids' childhood, and she has to create memories by herself. He argues that he is protecting the family and his country by doing his job, but Taya wants him to protect them at home. In a casual conversation, another SEAL, Biggles, reveals that he's purchased an engagement ring locally to save money. The men tease him about the quality and possible blood origins, but Biggles laughs it off and says he will tell his girlfriend it's from Zales. In an ensuing battle, Biggles is shot in the face by Mustafa, and they rush him back to the base where he goes into surgery. Biggles asks Kyle to promise to deliver the engagement ring he bought to his girlfriend back home, no matter what happens. The troops head back out immediately, beginning burning to get revenge, and Mark is shot during the mission and presumably killed. Biggles survives and is brought stateside for medical treatment. After his third tour, Kyle still cannot connect with his family and his home life. He visits Biggles in the hospital, who seems to be in good spirits. Biggles shares that he is now engaged, having purchased a new ring that is actually from Zales, despite trying to warn his girlfriend that her life will be much more difficult being married to him. Kyle doesn't seem to comprehend what could be difficult about marrying to a SEAL, saying she's lucky to be married to a patriot who fights for his country. Kyle still feels compelled to return to the war. He fights with his wife about it, with Taya demanding to know if he has a death wish. She says he's done his duty, and it's, something else's, it's somebody else's turn to go. She also tells him that if he leaves again, she and the children will not be waiting for him when he returns. He tries to smooth things over, but deploys yet again. Kyle tries to call Taya, but it goes to voicemail. While talking with another SEAL, Kyle finds out that Biggles has died in a recent surgery stateside. 
During one Overwatch post, Kyle watches a man walks out onto the street carrying a grenade launcher. Kyle kills the man. A young boy who had been playing nearby is startled and runs over. Kyle is concerned that the young boy will try to pick up the grenade launcher and he will have to kill him. The young boy struggles to get the grenade launcher on his shoulder and Kyle prepares himself to shoot the boy. The boy finally gives up and runs away and Kyle is clearly relieved. Kyle and his team are told that engineers are trying to construct a wall around the city, but a sniper keeps picking them off from over 1,000 yards away, leading the team to believe it is Mustafa. The team is sent out despite an oncoming sandstorm to try to take him out and protect the troops constructing the wall. They head out into the city and take their places on a rooftop, aiming at the direction they believe Mustafa is shooting from. However, Mustafa moves quickly and shoots from a different angle, killing another soldier constructing the wall, causing the SEALs to scramble to change their setup. Kyle believes he spotted Mustafa through the scope through the rest of the team has a hard time believing him, as he's over 2,000 yards away. They don't think he can see Mustafa, let alone shoot him at that distance. Also, the team spots many insurgents walking around the building, and if Kyle takes a shot, it will alert them to the SEAL's location, where they will be vastly outnumbered. The leader calls in for a response team from the base, which will take some time to arrive. They warn Kyle not to take the shot and endanger them all until they have backup. One of the SEALs encourages Kyle to take the shot if he believes he can do it. Kyle takes the shot, killing Mustafa, but the insurgents hear the gunshot and swarm the roof. The four SEALs try to conserve their ammo and take out the terrorists one by one that are rushing in on them. The backup is on its way and hasn't yet arrived, so the men are on their own. Kyle tearfully calls Taya and tells her that he's ready to come home. The men shoot their way off the roof as the backup finally arrives as he does the standstorm. The men try to run into the vehicle, but they have little to no visibility, struggling to see the truck, shoot the insurgents, and protect each other. Three of the SEALs run into the truck bed, but Kyle falls behind when he's shot. They slow down for him, and he barely makes it back into the truck. Kyle returns home. He is still not connected to his home life. At a family barbecue, Taya continues, catches him watching the TV intently as if it were on, when it is actually off. She tries to get him to join the party, and they watch the children play. A dog grabs the collar of a boy and is tugging at it. Kaya, Kyle suddenly rips off his belt and grabs the dog as if he might beat or strangle it until Taya cries out in horror. Kyle goes to a doctor who tells him that, according to his military records, Kyle has been credited with 160 kills, more than anyone else in U.S. history. The doctor asks if he has any regrets about killing those people, and Kyle's response is that he doesn't regret that. He only regrets not saving more American troops. The doctor tells him that there are American troops who could use his help at home. He takes Kyle to a support group of disabled veterans, many of whom have lost limbs. The men share their stories, and Kyle decides to take some of his men out to the shooting range and teach them to shoot sniper rifles. After hitting a target, one of the men remarks that it's the first time he's felt like a man since he was injured in battle. Kyle has finally regained himself, playing with his children and connecting with his wife. He teaches his young son to hunt, telling him that it's serious business to end a heartbeat. He continues his work with veterans. Taya tells him how proud she is of him for finding himself and for finding his way back to his family. He tells her that a Marine's mom reached out to him, asking if he would help her son out who's been struggling since his return. Kyle opens the door and an uneasy young man waits for him by his truck while Taya watches. The door closes and the final credits reveal that the troubled young Marine killed Chris Kyle, i.e., Chris Kyle was killed that day by a veteran he was trying to help. And credits roll. According to our good people at Rotten Tomatoes, this has a tomato reading, tomato meter reading of 72%. 
The critics, on average, give this film a 6.9 nice out of 10. That is low. It is low. It's because it's, it's a bunch of liberals. That's a bunch of political bullshit it's right there. Left. Uh, the audience score, which is the average rating of the audience that the audience gave the film, is 4.1 out of 5, which is 84% agreeing that it's a 3 or higher. Uh, did the awards get it right? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, at the Academy Awards, it had six nominations and one win. It's up against a lot of competition, though. Uh, best Picture, Birdman wins. It's up against Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Theory of Everything, Whiplash. Even if Birdman hadn't won, you could throw a dart at any of these movies and it would have won. Right. Um... Was there? A, can you think of a better year for movies than the Academy Awards? No. Okay. So this is the year that I've talked about before, where my friend uh, David moved out. He's now working for Paramount. Um, he moved out there. I was living in a house by myself. He had, he had just moved away from east the East Coast, and so we would like text back and forth. And he was working for um, Wick Godfrey at the time. Okay. He was doing his internship for Wick, um, and he he got to see a lot of these screenings before they got released in theaters. And so I was like, what should I see? And so I actually, this was my first year of teaching, the snow day. Remember, I've told you about the <laughs> yep. snow day on my yeah. first day of work. The first week of work. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, so now today I own half of these movies. Okay. I own Birdman. I own American Sniper. I own Grand Budapest and Whiplash. Yeah. And those are four phenomenal movies. <laughs> yeah. But out of those four, I still give Birdman like the number four. Wait, I, I wasn't impressed with Birdman. I thought it was okay. Yeah. I thought it was an Academy movie. Yes. It was an Academy movie, but it was not a great movie. I, thought, I would have given it to Whiplash, honestly. I, would have given, I think it goes Whiplash, American Sniper, Grand Budapest Hotel, Birdman out of those four. Because Grand Budapest Hotel is low-key hilarious. But I guess maybe it's just because I like Wes Anderson stuff. I do not think the awards got it right. I think there are at least three movies that are better than Birdman. I do, too. Um, but this, I think, started... Yeah, I think this is what started... Uh, Michael Keaton's return. Yes. Because then he was in uh, the movie about the priests. Spotlight. Spotlight. Then he was in The Founder. And then Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man, yep. And now American Assassin. Yes. So that's, this is what brought him back. Um, yeah, but no, they didn't get that right. Yeah, okay. Best Actor, Eddie Redmayne won for The Theory of Everything, playing Stephen Hawking. He was up against Steve Carell for Foxcatcher, who was awesome. Bradley Cooper and Sniper. Benedict Cumberbatch in The Imitation Game, who was awesome, and Michael Keaton. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen a different movie win Best Actor or uh, Best Picture and then Michael Keaton win Best Actor. Yeah. Because I could understand that then. Right. But honestly, I, I don't think Bradley Cooper should have won. I think Steve Carell should have. Steve Carell was it, awesome. That's why, that's why the people here at the Movie Playground have coined the term Foxcatcher. Yes. Because it transcended these people past with, where they're... Uh, careers were I never saw the uh, theory of everything I okay. just don't think it can be that hard to have a machine do the acting for you well it doesn't he what you watch just, I know but you watch joke. him go from uh, fully functional to slowly but surely debilitating yeah and he does a good job in it but I hate the fact that if you play someone who is in a debilitating fashion or disabled you're automatically thrown on this list right that's not equality. Benjamin Button. That, the, that they are always preaching about. Right. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. It was a very good performance. I just don't think it was better than any of those. The next one was Best Adapted Screenplay. The only way I could say anything about this is because uh, <laughs> I didn't read the books. I, I have nothing to say. So Whiplash is a book? Yeah. I forget about that. It was based off of a short story, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the Imitation one, in, imitation Game won. American Sniper was up, Inherent Vice, Theory Everything, and Whiplash. So I don't know. I can't speak on those. Okay. Um, the Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. I don't know the difference between these two damn things because I edit and mix this shit every time we do a show. Um, American Sniper won Best Sound Editing. It was against Birdman... The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, uh, or your favorite one, Hobbit movie, Interstellar. <laughs> Not my favorite. Not my favorite. And Unbroken. I think Sniper wins sound editing. It, anytime you got gunshots, you got to give it to that. Yeah. You got to match that sound hard. Unexpected Journey is my favorite. Let's go on. Sound, sound mixing? I think sound mixing is what you put in the film. Okay. Sound editing is what you do with it. So Whiplash would probably be the best spot for that. Because Whiplash won that. Yeah. Because, like, it, the music that they had with it. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, Whiplash is amazing. It, it's, it's so good. <laughs> so good. Which is why, best film editing, Whiplash won that also. And I'm guessing it's because of all the shots with the jazz, you know, where he, you see a shot over here and then he hits a drum and the, the shot goes right to the drum as he's hitting it back and yeah. forth. I like mean, the it, sweat and blood, like, <sighs> on the cymbal. So amazing. Uh, I almost want to watch that again this weekend. Such now. a good <laughs> It's never the it's never the wrong time to watch Whiplash. No, uh, just are you in the mood to see J.K. Simmons throw a symbol? Gotcha. His guns, his gun show that he brought to that game. Yeah. Uh, now at the Golden Globes, zero nominations, zero wins. It's hard to believe. Snubbed, but they also don't have as many movie awards. So just the hippie yippies over at the they Golden have Globes. Be, well, they've got best musical comedy, and then they've got best drama. They've got best actor, best actress, and that's it. They just have four awards. Yeah. No way. Yeah, that's it. I did not know that. Oh, best director, best directors, also didn't know that. Yeah, the rest are the and the, the other half is TV. Oh, well, well, Joe, what did you think after watching this film? Powerful film. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to watch. It's very engaging, but you have to be patient when you watch it, like a sniper. Yeah. And when I say patient, I mean patient as in this is going to move slow sometimes. Right. So, Joel, how about you? Um, we all know I'm not a big serious movie guy. You I've know. I've kind of gotten some flack about that, not here, <laughs> but in other places as well. Uh, but this movie still makes me slow down and realize like how much I take for granted. Yeah. I love this movie. And I'm always hesitant to put it in because I tell myself, I'm like, it's going to be slow. It's going to be serious. I don't want to like be put in a weird mood. But you watch it and you're not in a weird mood. It's just a great film. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3, which is where we uh, pick our top three, that we, top three things that we love or the scenes we like in the movie. And then we choose the three things that we dislike or that we find are the weakest. Uh, let's start with the top three. Joe, what are your top three things you want to highlight in this movie? Okay, my number three is the budding relationship and the trials that Chris and Taya go through while he's gone at war. The scene where they are under sniper fire and he drops the phone and she's listening in on the gunshots is so hard to watch because mm-hmm. I could only imagine being on that other end of the phone hearing that and wondering what the heck just happened because she's just, she's just figured out that she's pregnant, right? Yeah. And they're having a boy. Yeah. And you give or that... It was like their checkup or yeah, something. But it was the first time they found out she was having a boy. Okay. So she comes out with that news and then she's sitting there on the other end going, is my husband dead? Right. That's frightening. That scene does do such a great job of putting you in their shoes. Like yeah. You, yeah. Uh, my number two is Bradley Cooper. 
Uh, he holds nothing back in this film, and I believe he is actually Chris Kyle in this film all the way through. Yeah. I don't see Bradley Cooper playing Chris Kyle, but he's not the standout for me. Sienna Miller is my number one. With the wife? Yes. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not one of those women who's pretty, so they throw them in a film. She's got real chops and shows in this film. And in fact, if this movie had a most valuable player, it would, have been, it would not have been Cooper. I believe it would have been Sienna Miller. Great acting, and I wanted to see more from her. And I'm really ticked off that I looked at her IMDb. She's not in anything. Really? And I'm like, why aren't people hiring this woman? Like, in mainstream movies, she could be the next big thing. After seeing this, I was like, oh, my gosh. Maybe you just found your one role, and that was it. And this is going to be what you remembered for. But right. she's my number one. What are your three? Um, my number three might as well be my number one, but it's Bradley Cooper as Kyle. Yeah. Um, I have a friend back home that has two sons and he looks just like Cooper in this film. Like really looks and sounds just like him. Okay. And I even texted my dad. I was like texting him last night or two nights ago. I was like, have you ever seen American sniper? My dad just read the book. I was like, watch this and tell me if it doesn't remind you of so-and-so. And he was like, yeah, dude, absolutely spot on. <laughs> um, I sent him the scene from the when he's getting his oil changed. Yes. I mean, his voice, everything like he goes, yes, sir. All of it. And mm-hmm. so it's a wild. And so something about that resonates me. And I don't know if it's like, I know him and I know his kids. And so like, I can, I feel like I almost know Chris Kyle and how he would interact with his kids. Right. But Bradley Cooper nails it. Oh, um, totally. There's a joke that Kyle, Chris Kyle has on an interview with Conan O'Brien that Cooper sneaks into the movie. Um, where he's talking about where Conan is asking, the actual Chris Kyle, the about the bounties that are put on his head. Mm. And in the interview, Kyle says, he's like, don't, don't say that to my wife. He's like, she might take you up on that. <laughs> and Conan's like, I just met her backstage. She seems like a very lovely woman. And I didn't catch that until this time through. They're talking, they're telling Kyle that they've got a bounty on his head in the movie. He's like, he's like don't tell my wife. She'll probably take you up on that right now yeah. because he made her mad. <laughs> um, so I love that they took actual things that he said, put them into the movie. Um, Cooper made me want to be Chris Kyle, yes. but I'm not even close. I'm nope. hardly a man in comparison to Chris Kyle. I feel the same way. Um, my number two, Clint Eastwood letting us know how real like the situations were. I hate the scene with the drill. Oh, I can I can see you cringing on the couch I right now it. watching that. Um, <laughs> but it's necessary. And Kyle's character, Cooper's character, says it best when he says like these guys are savages, and like we can't sugarcoat that. Like, nope. It's not like we were over there trying to get oil money. It's no, these guys were savages and they were doing these things to their citizens and they were trying to protect us from that and protect them from that. Uh, that's something that can't be sugarcoated. And that's a, I'm, I like how Eastwood brought that across. Yeah. And that leads me in my number one, which is the message that does come across. I don't think up until this point that we really had a PTSD movie. Um, no, the reality is that it, the, the reality that it paints for our soldiers that were exhausted and wrecked when he talked to his brother on the plane, like they're not every soldier was like ready to go over and defend the country. Like mm-hmm. there were guys that were exhausted and there are guys that are exhausted. Well, the one line he has where he talks to his brother and his brother goes, this place. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what'd you say? They're exhausted. Yeah. He's like, and like he gets back and the guy's like, we don't, we have no idea like why we're here. Yeah. Um, Eastwood being a guy that's on the right still like he's honest and he paints pictures like, Hey, there are soldiers that don't want to fight this war. There are soldiers that are exhausted. that don't, that are kind of like lost in their purpose right now. 
that's what soldiers went through. That's what they're going through now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've gone through in the past. Um, in the, the, uh, final scene with Kyle and his family that like ruins me. Yeah. But it's like so great. Like the scene is so good of him, like playing with his kids before he leaves. Um, that's probably my number one, but, um, moving on to the bottom three, Joe, what do you think? This is, this is, this is the first time I had a hard time trying to come up with a list. Yeah, it was, uh, my number three, it was more of a directorial or plot thing. I think I would have liked to see it continue with going from his childhood to adulthood and back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I was intrigued by the lessons that he was taught by his father. I love the thing with the wolf, the sheep and the sheepdog. Yeah. And I wanted to see more of that stuff instilled in him. Yeah. And to see how it echoed later on in his life. Uh, for number two, it's a little long. Uh, it's a necessary evil. It's still a little long. Yeah. And my number one, enjoyability. I go to see movies for enjoyability. This is not an enjoyable movie. Uh, this is a message movie first. And so it's really a movie you only need to see once. It's also because of the nature of the setting. A movie that has a particular window. Its relevance may only be for another 10 to 15 years as we make advancements in PTSD. It's important now, but it probably won't be a relatable subject for years to come. So this movie is a, it's in a niche. Maybe. And, but it also did something that I'm going to talk about later on. uh, And we'll get into that. But anyway, Joel, what are your three? Uh, My number three, it's kind of long. Yeah, there you go. It's kind of long. I don't like long movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I like this movie. But it's hard to carve out time. Yeah. Number two, the scene with the drill. Hate it. Um, number one, the ending. So, yeah. uh, Tears your heart up. Like I, I hate the ending, and that's that's why I don't watch movies like this. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like watching movies where I know that something's going to happen. It I, makes you wonder what the ending would have been if he hadn't been murdered. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've never thought of that. Yeah. Because. Huh. If that yeah, had never started happened, making it, they start like, what was the original plan? Exactly. It would probably have been him now helping other people in PTSD. And that's where it would end. Like, look, look where his arc went. Now he's on the other side of it and he's helping everybody else out. But when you finally have that final period at the end, you're like, damn. Yeah. Gosh, that's friendly that fire. Yeah, that's definitely my number one thing I hate about this movie. The fact that it's real. Like, yeah. <laughs> I hate that this is like actually something that people have to go through and something that a family had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is cool that it's being used to uh, reach those that are affected by what they've seen and how they've served. And I mean, we're obviously thankful for them mm-hmm. and they're more men than I am. Um, so Joe, who is the audience for this movie? Uh, this sounds so cliche to say, but people who want to put a face on the people who protect this country, mm-hmm. uh, they are broken heroes when they're coming back. They're heroes, but they're broken heroes. I'm a teacher. I got to hear all the time. Oh, you're a hero. Also the hell I am. Yeah. I I don't protect this country. I I protect your kid from bullying. That's about it. Okay? Uh, The sacrifice, the dedication, the balance they try to maintain, I feel bad complaining about my day as a teacher when I watch a movie like this. And perhaps that's the point. It's for people who need to put their lives back in perspective. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is the audience. So, what about you? Uh, I'm going to roll off of what you said Mm -hmm. in saying people that need to put their lives back into perspective. I think everyone that's of age needs to see this movie. It's and like, you're going to get the whiners and you're going to get the complainers that are going to say it's propaganda, that it's this and that it's a story. And it's a story that actually happened. There's no agenda to this movie. And, but I mean, people, people are negative to be negative. Exactly. Um, 
but no, I mean, people, people that need to remember how good they have it mm-hmm. and people that maybe they get caught up with the nonsense that's happening in the political world that want to kind of see the reality behind a lot of it. So that's what I, just people, mm-hmm. people that need to figure themselves out. Uh, but movie report guard, A, B, C, D, or F in the biopic film genre. Yes. Joe, give us a grade and some comments that defend your grade. Okay. The past few war movies have really nailed it. But when 9-11 happened, there was a major gap between the event and the next good war movie. Studios didn't know when it was okay to put out a movie that was war-related, and so it seemed for the moment that the genre was dead. Fast forward 13 years, during a time when we are constantly trying to rewrite history through political opinion, and this movie is ballsy to make. In fact, many were surprised that this was getting Oscar buzz because it was constantly touted as pro-war by the media. The media got this dead wrong. This movie's not pro-war. This movie is pro-humanity. Right. This movie shows that the impact every bullet makes from a soldier's gun has meaning and affects the soldier in question. That the sacrifice a soldier makes and the sacrifices a soldier's family makes are honorable. War is an ugly thing that nobody wants, but it is a necessity as long as there are people who want to rely on it as a means to an end. Clint Eastwood balances that idea brilliantly. He doesn't make these soldiers a bunch of mainstream engaging gung-ho badasses like an alien's. They are each unique people who you believe have lives beyond the military when you hear them speak. Mm -hmm. That is a testament to the direction of Eastwood. It is no surprise, based on my top three, that I believe that Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller did such a phenomenal job. They ceased to be the actors they we see on the screen and became the people they portrayed. I'm giving this an A. Yes, there are a few liberties taken for the theatrical plot line, but they do a great job of showing the character and struggles of Chris, Chris Kyle. This movie honors him beautifully, and I believe tells an honest story of a man struggling with his role beyond the sheepdog he is. A, A, A in the biopic genre. And not just because he's a mar- an army guy, but because this is a phenomenal film. A. Yeah. You, sir? Man. So. <laughs> Follow <I'm>, that. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at biopics. Biopics. Mm-hmm. However you want to call them. Biopics. The ones that I've seen that are great. Yes. Um, that Google would consider a biopic. You've got a beautiful mind, um, social network, uh, mm-hmm. good fellas. Catch me if you can. Ray's got to be up there. Um, yeah, I just haven't seen that one. Yeah. Uh, Capote. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's a good movie though. It's the a good movie. movie. The yeah. Movie's good. Yeah. Um, remember the Titans, uh, blind side, Cinderella man. They're all a, Great movies. Mm-hmm. Out of all of those, I still say, if you put them all up against each other, this is the story that needs to be told. This is the one that you need to watch. Yes. And, I mean, there's no... there's There can't be any crazier story than the life of a Navy SEAL turned sni- like sniper. You know? Yep. And what it says about the people that uh, serve our country, but also... The men they are, men and women that they are at home, there are people behind them. It's this is just a huge story that needs to be told, and the acting is great. Bradley Cooper is two hundred percent believable. Oh yeah, um, that you know I watch this and I forget it's a movie. Mm-hmm. You get so lost in the story and the characters that are developed. This 
I think this film transcends entertainment. It, it goes beyond just, like I watched Capote. I watched it for the first time that same year that I was watching all the Oscar movies, whatever. Mm-hmm. I watched Capote. I said, that was a very well-made movie. I own it because I found it in the bargain bin. Four ninety nine. probably won't watch it. I mean, I might watch it again. I don't know. Yeah. But it was a good movie. You know, I think Remember the Titans, I'm like, what a fun movie to watch. Yeah. This movie is like, I don't, I don't, when people say like, what are your favorite like war movies? I'm like, oh, 13 Hours is a great war movie. What's the other one you said? Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty. Great war movie. I don't think of American Sniper because it's such a great story. Yeah. I feel like it transcends the thought of this being just pure entertainment. And I think it's because 13 Hours and Zero Dark Thirty are both, they're war movies. They would be in the war genre. Yeah. Because they're not about one person. They're about an action, an event. This movie's about a human being. Mm. So that's why. It's It's so much more than entertainment. It's an amazing story that everyone should hear. And it's an A. I mean, it, I, can't, I can't think of anywhere where any place where it falls short. It doesn't. Where you can name another biopic that beats it. Yeah. You know? Um, so until, again, there are movies that are super entertaining that I'll probably watch more in my life. I'll probably watch Remember the Titans more. I'll probably, you know, see the social network, Goodfellas a few more times. This still beats them. And so. I, honestly, I know JC is a fan of the happy ending, and that normally nicks some of these movies for him. I think even he would be like, no, this is an A. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's that fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, good yeah. job. A's yeah. all around. So this is going to the Pantheon. Yeah, it's a perfect 12. Perfect it's probably 12. staying for a while. Staying for a minute. <laughs> um, so if this movie was released on Blu-ray, and I think I jumped ahead, would you buy it, bin it, stream it, or... Borrow it or forget about it. I would buy it. I'd buy it if it was in a super pack with 13 hours and zero dark 30 as the best modern day war movies we have had in a long time. Yeah. Uh, we've had some other good movies like Heartbreak Ridge uh, or Hexall Ridge. Hexall, Hexall Ridge. Ridge. Hexall Ridge. Great war movie. Um, Dunkirk. Pretty good. Pretty, war movie. Pretty good. But not modern day. Right. These are the modern day ones. And it takes a lot of guts to do something just two or three years removed from the event. Yeah. Uh, because we learn in the last 10 years, boy, is history rewriting itself every five, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm buying this as a time capsule moment and uh, saying, look, this is what I lived through. This is what this human being lived through. This is an event right here that I appreciated. Yeah. So how about you? Um, I bought it. I already bought it. Yeah, I so buy it too. I agree with you on 100%. Those are honestly my top three movies. Also, if one snuck into the top three, it would be Fury. Mm-hmm. But that's not modern. That's not a modern war movie. It's World War II, and it's also not a true story, I don't think. The tragic thing about this movie is that it's, I got it at Target on sale for ten ninety nine. Yeah, This movie should be a steel cover, yeah. bullet-attached book. You know, it, it, it is so good, and it's a shame that people won't see this because of political opinion. Right. Because that means that they're not paying attention to what the story is about. Exactly. No, you nailed it. In constant sorrow through his days. Well, that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll look at Oh Brother, Where Art Thou for the Crime Pantheon. 
You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean, and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, follow the Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching. Sweet.